Good morning. Hello. Free hugs. Sarah's always good for a hug. How are you doing? How's your machine? <laughs> Name is always good for a hug. Who likes a friendly church? This side seems to be more friendly than this side. Is that, is that about right, you reckon? <laughs> Go team. That's great. I'll be looking forward to Jason losing his beard. It'll be... Uh... <laughs> what do you reckon? Stephanie needs to go? You don't mind? <laughs> really excited. Um, this uh, Friday is uh, the Governor's Prayer Breakfast, which is one of the major Christian events held in our state on any time. And one of the things that we seek to do as a church is to have significance... You know, we don't look at size as a measure of our success in God. We look at what difference we make as a sign of what we're doing. And uh, when we look at a road Bible college there, you know, little boast of me is that, you know, Jensen is one of my former Bible college students. So here's a college that's now founded a college that's now founding colleges. And, you know, the multiplication of that is just amazing. You know, God gets the glory for that, but you know, understand for me, to see one student go out and then build more students, you know, it's just amazing, isn't it? The multiplication, literally maybe, who knows, thousands, thousands of people have been sent out to the harvest field as a result of that multiplication. But one of the other things that we're doing is that Karen, Karen, who's been a wonderful addition to our church, has, she's actually running this event for the, um, so stand up, Karen. Just went on. I said, "Stand up! Come on!" <laughs> you owe me now for that. So she's actually running this event. So I think we've got about 750 people coming to 750 people coming to the um, Crown Casino, the their ballroom, the Burswood ballroom there to sit down, have a quality breakfast, and hear uh, an international quality speaker talk to society. And there, they're going to be. Sporting stars, they're going to be media personalities, they're going to be politicians. You know, it's going to be a great environment to actually lift up the name of Jesus. And uh, we, we just, you know, we're just thrilled that we can partner with Karen to do that and support her with it. And if you would like to go, there are a few seats still available. So it's uh, $55, good meal, great event. You'll meet some nice people. I'm going, so <laughs> meet some nice people. So um, see Karen before. You go if you're interested. There'll be a few seats still there. Um, and, of course, on the slide where it says 5.30 a.m. men's prayer meeting, that's on Fridays, okay? Just to make that clear. It's not Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. It's on Fridays. And we can have, you know, seven to ten men praying in the Holy Ghost, and we have some incredible times there. And so we, we are thankful to God that there does seem to be a warming up of the values of prayer in our church and we're having real God moments where you, know, you just have that pause and you know that God's in the house and visions are happening and you know the gifts are beginning to move. Real, really very encouraging as a senior pastor to see that. So that's wonderful. So um, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 17. 
Numbers 17. And we will have the red back in the house next Sunday, so it'll be exciting. Pastor Dave Reed will be with us. He's actually Gary Bowe's cousin, so that's his other claim to fame. And Roger, Gaff, the Dockers are looking good. They're looking real good. So the football season isn't over yet. <laughs> I shouldn't have. you got Numbers chapter 17. Fantastic. So the Lord said to Moses, this is called the budding of Aaron's staff. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and get 12 staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff. Write the name on on the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name, for there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting in the front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Law, where I meet with you. Where does it need to be placed? In the tent of the meeting, in the front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Law, where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man that I choose will sprout and I'll rid myself of the constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. Sounds like leadership's remained much the same for about 4,000 years. So Moses spoke to the Israelites and their leaders gave them the 12 staffs, one for the leader of each of the ancestral tribes, and Aaron's staff was among them. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the covenant law. The next day, Moses entered the tent, saw Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Then Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to the Israelites. They looked at them, and each of the leaders took his own staff. And the Lord said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff in the front of the Ark of the Covenant Lord to be kept as a sign to the, this, to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. God is an optimist. He keeps on hoping. Moses did just as the Lord commanded, and Israelites said to Moses, we will die, we are lost, we are all lost. Anyone has seen, uh, any, anyone even comes near the tabernacle, the Lord will die. Are we all going to die? So they said, yeah, this is a big sign, this is a big miracle. And so today I just want to spend just a few short minutes talking with you about um, this particular staff. And I was looking around for a piece of stick today, but I uh, couldn't find one despite being on a small farm. Uh, we uh, didn't get there, so... was here. Where are my sermons? Here we go. Um, they thought that little Annie was hopelessly insane. She was a small little girl and she was about six or seven years of age and she was kept. This was quite some time ago. This is back in the turn of the uh, 20th century. And she was kept in an insane asylum, a mental asylum. She was kept in a little cage, basically and uh, was totally fragile, locked down on herself, no communication, no emotion, no connection, wouldn't look a person in the eye, no ability to talk. And this little Annie is just in this horrible, terrible state, kept in darkness. 
And uh, one nurse who was working in that particular institution started to take a bit of an interest in this little Annie. And so she would go down and try to connect. No, nothing was going on. And so it started that she just would go down there and have a lunch. And as she had lunch, she would just say, hello, Annie, how are you? No response. And uh, she would often pack in a lunch a biscuit or a brownie, something like that. And so the nurse then would uh, got this idea that I'll just put out a little biscuit, little brownie, something like that, near the cage. No response at all. Came back the next day and the brownie's gone. The biscuit's gone. So she'd have lunch again and she'd uh, look what's in the lunch and sometimes might have been apple, some she'd just leave the apple out. Still no contact, still nothing happening for Annie, but come back the next day and the apple's been eaten. And slowly but surely over time, uh, Annie got a little bit closer to the side, engagement began to happen and this young life that had been locked down for whatever reason began to open up. And began to respond. And eventually, uh, learn how to talk, learn how to function successfully in society, and ended up, uh, you know, being discharged. And this little Annie became Anne Sullivan. And for those who are perhaps a little bit older, may remember that Anne Sullivan is the person who was asked to be a nurse to a lady called Helen Keller. And Helen Keller was this person who was born um, deaf and blind. And if you think about that, if you don't have this sense here and you can't see here, then whilst you can talk, you have no ability to get the, the data, the information necessary to learn what it is to talk. And it's Helen Keller in a very famous movie. It's very old now. It's black and white. I don't know if there's anybody here who remembers a black and white TV set, you know, but... <laughs> This is the days when, you know, TV was just, you know, everybody would go down to the one person in the street who owned the black and white TV, you know, to watch the test patterns. Anybody remember here watching the test patterns? <laughs> you about my age. <laughs> and so it's an older film. And it's the story of Anne Sullivan and how she gets this lady, Helen Keller, who's trapped by sensory deprivation. She cannot contact her own world and she slowly learns to talk by... She puts the fingers over the mouth and over the chin like this. And as she's ta- as so Helen puts her hands on Anne's mouth like this. And so she begins to feel what those sounds are like. And eventually she learns to talk. And the very first thing that Helen Keller says when she can string together a full phrase is, I am not an animal. I am human. And Helen Keller went off to get a, a bachelor of... Uh, a bachelor's degree and do very successful and be a a great humanitarian and bring about things. So it's an amazing story. Anne Sullivan was a committed Christian. But it's amazing how God can take out of the darkest, most tragic, broken circumstances of life and do something wonderful. God's a specialist in taking my mess and turning it into a message. God is brilliant at taking my trial and turning it into a testimony. God is absolutely the specialist in taking the worst and promoting them to be the best in Him. Anybody can say, that's me, Mike. That's what God's done in my life. God does incredible things. 
And here in this particular passage, we've just got a dead stick. It's not particularly healthy. Now, my mum has a great green thumb. She can make anything grow, although it's embarrassing walking with mum because she tends to help herself to the plants as you walk down the road, you know. She'll take a little snip here and a little snip there and snip, snip, snip. Gary did tell me, though, a very funny story today. I went to see the, um, the sergeant the, uh, up at the, the, the police station because we are trying to assist the church, uh, trying to assist the police as a church praying for domestic violence in this area. We want to see that change because the police now know that we're praying for that, don't they? But why is there in the office talking to the police and someone rings up really upset because someone's just stolen their marijuana crop and they want the police to come out and catch the crooks who did it? <laughs> that is funny, isn't it? That's wrong, man. Someone can't be taking my stash. So... Where was I? Sticks. Okay. Uh, be short today, Mike. Be short. So I have the ability to kill a plastic plant. If you buy me a plastic plant, put it in my office, come back six months later, it will be dead. That is how good I am. My mum can make anything grow. She's got that green thumb. But essentially, I've seen my mum over the years take a little cutting of something, and it looks like a dead stick, and she puts it in something. Uh, I think it's soil. And she waters it and she talks to it. And after a short period of time, this little green shoot comes up. And a little bit after that, it comes the flowers and all the rest. It's an amazing phenomenon of life, isn't it? And here you've got these dead sticks. And, of course, there's a big leadership question in the background. But that's not where I'm going today. I just want to let you know that here is a dynamic. That if we will spend one night in the presence of God, in the front of the mercy seat where God's mercy flows, where the law is covered in the place of the manifested presence of God, then life comes to the deadest things. You and I were made for the presence of God. When you come to church, you're just not coming to meet nice people. You're not just coming for great coffee. You're not just coming to sing a few happy songs. You're coming into the presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God and you can move from being trapped by yourself and go into the presence of God, then life comes to the deadest things. It's my hope today, I'll preach my heart out into my mouth today, that there's someone here today, you may have deadness in an area of your life. You are dead to the gospel. You are dead to greatness. You are dead to grace. You are dead to forgiveness. You are dead to freedom. And I'm going to pray that you will just experience something in the presence of God. And you will find something will bud and leaf and blossom in your life. A sermon will never change anything, but your Savior will. Coffee will never help you, but a connection with the Holy Spirit will. God wants you to be fruitful. Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants you to be fruitful. doesn't want you to be fruit. wants you to be fruitful. So here we go. God's presence is greater than our barrenness. Amen. God's power is better than our barrenness. The test of a genuine Christian living is fruit. Okay. 
Now, do you want me to tell you the truth today or do you want me to lie to you? <laughs> the test of whether you are a biblical, defined believer is fruit. By your fruit, you shall know them. You won't uh, know them by how often they go to church. That's not in the Bible. You won't know them how often they pray. You won't know them by how much they read their Bible or how much theology they've studied or, or what doctrine they believe or how high they slap. Or church. That, that is not the test of being a biblical Christian. The test of being a biblical Christian is fruit. We are all trees. Anybody remember the 1980s? Anyone who was born in the night before the 1980s? Some of you were born after the 1980s. We used to sing a song in those days. There used to be lots of action choruses. And one of them was, we shall be trees of righteousness. You remember that one? Uh, we shall be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, which is good scripture. But you all had to sort of move sideways, which is really great for the people that don't want to do anything in church because if they didn't move, they used to get trampled and, you know, stomped to death. Then you'd all go the other way. You know, the planting, and you do all the trees. And we all were trees waving. Remember that? Some people remember that. Jeff remembers that. Um, but the truth is the Bible over and over again uses the analogy that people can be compared with trees. You know, we could go right through Isaiah, the trees shall clap their hands. It's talking about people. You and I, it's a great analogy. And you are meant to be able to come to Mike as the tree. Do I make a good tree? You're meant to be able to pluck some fruit off. You're meant to be able to put your teeth into it and taste it. You know, what am I getting here? Am I getting uh, lemons? I'm getting oranges. What, what am I getting here? When Mike is squeezed, what's the outflow of my life? And many of the things that we use to measure whether we are a good Christian or not are actually irrelevant. God doesn't care how you dress. God, well, you know, wants you to be dressed. <laughs> a lot of the things that we look at and we measure is just not relevant to God. What, God, what God's after is fruit. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a story of the owner who comes to the gardener and then says, uh, hey, this tree here, uh, it's, it's not giving fruit. Pull it out. Because I can put someone else there that will grow. I can give someone else an opportunity given the same water, given the same fertilizer, given the same input, is going to grow. And the gardener says, hang on, God, let me have another year with it and I'm going to dig around its roots, and I'm going to fertilize it. But then if it doesn't produce fruit, then uh, it's, it's a fair deal. Pull it out. And so you wouldn't want to make a doctrine out of it, but that's a three-year cycle. This is my view, that on average, from the moment you give your life to Jesus, three years later, there should be fruit in your life. That's my theory. And about year two of your walk with God, as you're growing in your faith with God, about year two, God's starting to come and say, what's happening in your life, Mike? Is there fruit there? Are you beginning to grow? What are the life signs on your life? Because the life signs are going to be kingdom life signs. Not whether you go to church, not whether you read your Bible, but is it life? Is it the fruit of God? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
faithfulness, goodness, temperance, self-control, and kindness, patience. Which one did I forget? Patience. We've got patience. We should never forget so how does Mike respond when something bad happens do do the people around me taste love joy forgiveness temperance good patience is that what comes out of Mike I've known people have been going to church for 300 years and you squeeze them and the fruit of the spirit doesn't come out what comes out is bitterness Judgment, criticism, whinge, wine, all sorts of things. And Jesus said that it's out of our fruit that we shall be known. So here's the deal. One night in the presence of God, one encounter of God can take you from being barren to being fruitful. One deal with God. One night on the carpet. One night pushing through. One Sunday morning pushing through on the songs and getting out of yourself and into God. The Greek word is ecstasy. You've heard me say this. Ecstasy literally means to stand outside of yourself. The reason why Christians are meant to be enthusiastic people is because we're meant to be possessed of God. And the reason why the Bible says that we are to move from praise into worship into high worship is because we're to get to the place of ecstasy. X is not really about you feeling good about yourself, but it's about you being empty of yourself. You can't be full of God if you're full of self. So when we say, God, come into my life, the other thing's got to happen at the same time, which is I've got to empty. I've got to empty Mike. I've got to put down the self-life of Mike. I've got to put down my small idols, my concerns, my whinges, my problems. Because if I stay full of Mike, you're going to get Mike. But what you don't, what you want to see is God in Mike. God in flesh. And so that's what we do. When we come to the presence of God, there should be a thing where we're giving up our deal to let God come in. It's just not a song. It's just not movement. It's about God. I want to be so focused on you. I'm going to put away my cares and my concerns and let you come. And if you do that, just maybe you are going to have that moment with God in the place of the mercy seat. It's a mercy seat. Thank you, Jesus. The law is covered by blood. Thank you. In the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, fruiting can take place. One night in the presence of God. One morning in the presence of God. God's power is greater than your barrenness. So you could have been in a situation for so many times, you do not have to go out the same way today. This could be your day just to let the presence of God bring life. Let the life flow, God's life flow through you to bring that sort of uh, fruiting, budding harvest in your life. So not only that, but this time in 24-hour period, this is just one night when uh, Moses put the 12 staffs. So in a space of maybe 10 hours, 12 hours, things happen. I love the fact that sometimes God does things in the instant. And I love the fact that sometimes God takes things over time. But what I do know is when you're in the manifested presence of God, things can happen very fast and very quickly. Overnight, in the hidden place of God, where there is no human eyes to watch, 
The power of God does miracles. In the secret place with God, the miracles still happen. Your life can be different tomorrow. Your life can be different today. All it takes is some time in God's presence. It's all it needs. You're one night away from a new life. One night away from God's power. One night away from new fruit. One night away from freshness. One night away from fruitfulness. One night away. One magic moment with God can change everything. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the cosmic creator. He is the one who has all power and all strength. And all we need to do is spend time with Him. And things happen. One day in God can change things. I, 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 it resists formula. I will often spend, uh, when I get the opportunity, just to go away and seek God personally. And I might go to New Norcia or your caravan somewhere and just try and push into God. And I find that it resists formula. Uh, the first time I went away in a real concrete way to really seek God for a word some years ago was I went down to a little, little, just found a little cheap hotel in Pinjarra. wasn't too far away. If I could go there, no one knew who I was. I asked for a room that didn't have a TV set. And the first day I'm there, I'm fasting and praying. And all I could do is think about food. And I was just horrible. And I'm distracted and I can't. I don't know if I'm going through caffeine withdrawal or whatever it might be, but my first day was lousy. I'm thinking, God, if this is what it takes to find you, we're, we're in for a bad route here. And I basically slept half the day. Uh, maybe that's part of what it was needed. The next day, uh, it starts to click a bit better for me. I'm opening up my Bible and it's feeling fresher for me. I'm just not like reading on the surface, but I feel like there's a voice underneath the text now beginning to talk with me, here with me. And, and I'm worrying about different things and, you know, what's going to happen with this and that. And in the middle of that, God says, this is going to happen. Like, wow. So six months later when it happened, I'm saying, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I know about that. I was so prepared for what God was going to do because God had shown me in advance. Was I glad I spent the time away finding God? Absolutely. So here we've got a dead stick in the presence of God. Time doesn't matter. You might have been a dead stick for a long time, not a lot of fruit, but if there's anybody in the house today who would like to be more fruitful for God, is there anybody here who would like to say, God, I need more of your Holy Spirit manifested in my life. I love more love, more joy, more... More, more of what you've got in me. I want that to flow through my life. If that's you today, I'm giving you the methodology which is get into the presence of God. Don't go to church. Get into the presence of God. Don't come to a worship service. Be actually engaged and love on God and empty of yourself. Don't care about the person next to you. You might think that you don't use deodorant. Uh, just push into God and let his presence come. So God's power is greater than barrenness. Hallelujah. God's power is greater than barrenness. You are destined for fruitfulness. Jesus said, I, you did not choose me. That makes you interesting, isn't it? But I chose you. 
If you know God today in a deep and personal way, then God chose you. And the destiny he has on your life is for you to be fruitful. For you to actually have much fruit to bring him praise and glory through that fruit. So there's God's uh, presence breaks barrenness. God's presence breaks time limits. And God's presence is greater than all these other concerns in our life. Overnight in that hidden place. Now, I like this little story. One man came from one town to visit another town. And he asked the question, what miracles can your rabbi perform? Oh, must be a Jewish village, I suppose. Uh, what is a miracle for you, they asked. Well, the visitor said, is it a miracle if God does exactly what your rabbi asks of him? And they say, why, of course, the people replied. That is a miracle. Well, the, the visiting uh, says, well, in the same way that said the stranger, my people in my village think it's a miracle when our rabbi does exactly what God asks of him. I like it. We've got it all around the wrong way sometimes, haven't we? The miracle sometimes is, oh, God, do what I want. Do what I want. Guess what? God's up in heaven saying, please do what I want. Please, please live righteously and I can bless you. Please live in a way that well, I can lift and exalt you. Be humble. Be full of the Spirit of God. Please don't do the stuff that hurts you. And he thinks it's a miracle. Look, he's actually doing what I've asked him to do. That's amazing. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 11 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Jeremiah, what does you see? What do you see? And he says, I see a rod of an almond tree. And the Lord said unto me, What thou, thou hast seen well, for I will hasten my word to perform it. It's a great text. You can look at a stick and the voice of the Holy Spirit is, what do you see? You could be asked today about your life as the stick in God's hand. What do you see? And I hope you see well. I hope you see the stick of an almond tree that's going to bud. And God says, if that's true, I will hasten. I'm on my way. I'm a-running to make certain I fulfill the promise of God over your life. Them's the words of destiny. Them's the words that change life forever. What do you see? When you come into temptation, Jesus, it's interesting, is our standard, our type. Over and over again, the temptation to Jesus was, who are you? If you are the Son of God, that's the snake's thing. If you are God's Son, if you are chosen, if you are, then do these things. Do these things. And so the response would be is that, yes, I am in God. So may I encourage you today to be people passionate for the presence of God. Can I ask you today in the name of Jesus, to carve off some quality time in your life and to actually say, I am going to shut the door on my concern and my needs and my worries. In fact, I'm going to shut the door on me for just a night, for just a day, 
for just a season. And I am going to seek the presence of God with all of my heart. You know, the great promise of Jeremiah, it's often so many, so quoted many times, you know, Jeremiah 29, you know, verse 18, you know, I know the plans I have for you. You know that text? Great text, isn't it? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to give you a future, not to harm you, but to give you a future. But the next passage says this, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. These things are connected, God. Who wants God's good plan over their life? Who wants a plan that doesn't harm them, but prospers them and lifts them and gives them a hope and a future? Who wants that sort of a plan? Well, the way you get to that plan is that you need to say yes to God and actually say, I will seek the Lord with all my heart. I will with all of my heart. And then God makes the promise. If you seek him with all of your heart, you shall find him. And I have found God to be faithful on that. He can, I find he'll play hide and seek at times. He'll withhold his presence for a while. He actually wants to find out whether Mike is fair dinkum. Does that, if you're sitting next to a person where English, Australian's not their first language, can you just explain to them fair dinkum? <laughs> God sometimes just wants to know whether I'm serious. Because sometimes what we want is the easy fix. We want God to be magic God. We want him to actually just wave, wave magic wants. What he wants is our heart. So God will sometimes just hold back a little bit to see whether I'm really serious. And I find the greater the weight... And the greater the faith required to stand there and to be still and know that he's God and to stand and having done everything stand, the greater that is. When God comes through, the greater the revelation, the greater the insight that you get, the greater sense that you have that God's in your life. Friends, whatever God has done before, he can do it again. God's healed people of cancer all over the world. God can do that again. What God has done anywhere else in the world, God can do it here. Anything God has done for anyone, he can do for you. So why not you? Why not you spend some time in God's presence and just allow God to become the center of your life? Enter yourself with a self-life. Let fruiting come. Let God be glorified in Jesus. Now I'm going to ask the uh, team up right now. We're going to... Just uh, close the service. So if the music team could just come, maybe you could just stand with me in the presence of God. Thanks, guys. Uh, We're going to sing This Is The Air I Breathe. Um, And this, this is my take on the kingdom of God. I would love to be able to say to you today, you can have a bit of God and you can have a bit of the other stuff, you know, the mixture. You can have a bit of the self-life. I'd love to be able to tell you that, but it's just not true. It doesn't work. I find the only thing that works is to be totally, passionately committed to God being number one. You can't have God number two. You've got to have him as number one in your life. And that's in your inner world, that's in your struggles, 
It's in your dreams. It's in your body. It's all those things. So today, I want to just open up the altar call and invite you to come down the front. I may pray with you or I may not, but I actually do think that for some of us here today, it's going to be just important to say, yes, I need to make a promise to you, God, not to me, not to the house, not anything, but God, this is my sign and say, I'm going to commit to being someone who will pursue time in your presence. Because I fear that my next 52 sermons is not going to help you much. I fear that even if we get better coffee, it's not going to help you much. I fear that the world has lots of attraction, lots of other alternatives, lots of distractions. What I do know is, in the presence of God, God, change it all in the moment. What was dead comes alive. What has no fruit gets green. What has no color suddenly has flowers because of time in the presence of God. So we're going to sing that this is the air I breathe. If you feel that this is something the Holy Spirit speaks to you about, please feel comfortable to come forward and then we'll pray. Thank you, Jesus. God has done everything he can to have you here today. Sent his son to die. Raised him in life. Poured out his Holy Spirit and put together this, this Christian family here today that we might just say that God wants you to have life. To live. thief comes to kill to maim to destroy but I have come that you may have life have it to the full and here's here's the rub unless the Holy Spirit does it I can't help you this church can't help you Unless there is a connection between you and God that's personal and it's real, we're in trouble. I really sense the Holy Spirit just saying today that this is a divine positioning for us as a church, as believers. We've got to put ourselves in the right position to be blessed. We position ourselves somewhere else. God's program is going to keep on going. God's going to win. But he'll leave us behind. Some of us right now are really putting ourselves in a position saying, God, use me. I want you. I need you. I want more life. So important. So important. Jesus. Steve, can you just lead us on the keys for just a little while? And don't change the mood. Just stay there in the presence of God. I really want, just want to create a time for you and God to have a talk, for you and God to sort it out, for you and God to have an encounter. What I'm trying to do open up here is now is this is the tent of meeting. We've gathered together. It's a mercy seat. There's no judgment. No judgment. We're all saved by the same blood of Jesus Christ. 
all equal in him. No one's better than anybody else. This is a mercy seat. And one moment the presence of God can be the breakthrough. Fruitfulness for the days. So Steve, we'll just be quiet in your presence. We've got a little moment to pause so we don't have to hurry. Jesus.